Yeah. Exactly. Yes, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, typically, we tend to, uh, to focus on the part about getting the desires of our heart. At least some people do. And uh, uh, I would like to suggest to you, while I believe that it turns out to be true, that that is putting the emphasis on the wrong sea level. That the emphasis should be on the beginning portion of that verse that says we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. And one of the things that we find is what we delight in brings about a shift in the desires of our hearts. Therein we... we you know, instead of starting with the desires of our heart and thinking, well, I, I want A, B, C, or D, and I think, okay, so in order to get what I want, I'm going to try to delight in the Lord. No, we start with delighting in the Lord, and we find as we do that, that our, our outlook and our attitude shifts so that the desires of our heart change to be in line with God's will and God's way and His plan for our lives. This reminds me of the little story that I know most of you have probably heard before about the young lady who was a bookworm. She had many books in her collection, and one day she came across a book she, she had never read before. She picked it up, started reading it, and as she read, she found it was not very interesting. And she thought, well, maybe if I keep going, it'll get more interesting, as sometimes books do. They just get off to a slow start. So she read further, didn't get any more interesting. And she thought, well, maybe it will have a surprise ending. And so she just kept on drudging through that book and got to the end, and it didn't have a surprise ending. And she threw the book aside in disgust and said, that's just one of the worst books I've ever read. Well, sometime later, she started keeping company with a young man. I'm sure you know the story. And after a while, as they were sitting together one evening, she happened to think of something. And she said, you know, the strangest thing. I have a book in my collection. The author's name, the last name, is the same as your last name. She said, even the initials are the same. Don't you think that's strange? And he said, no, I don't think that's strange. She said, you don't? And he said, no, because you see, I'm the author of that book. Well, that evening, she could hardly wait for him to leave. And as soon as he left, you know what she did? She went back to her collection where she had tossed that book aside in disgust and picked it up and started reading again. And as she read, it got a little bit more interesting. And the more she read, the more interesting that book got. And after a while, she just got so enthralled, she said to herself, I don't know what was the matter with me. This is one of the best books I've ever read. <laughs> well, what makes the difference? Falling in love with the author of the book. Delighting in the author of the book. Well, let's look for a few moments this evening. First of all, the connection between love and delight. The connection between love and delight. <clears throat> we learn about this connection through something called Hebrew parallelism. Um, simply put, Hebrew parallelism is, is one of the most common forms 
of Hebrew poetry that we find in the Old Testament. And essentially, in uh, parallelism is Hebrew po- part of Hebrew poetry, uh, you will find that uh, there will be two lines, and the second line repeats what's in the first line, just using a little bit different words or different phrasing. So let me give you a couple examples of this and uh, draw out the meaning. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Also, we find it again in Psalm 119, verse 47. Psalm 119, verse 47, here we read, For I find my delight in your commandments, the commandments which I love. So there is a connection between love and delight. And this is not the, uh, oh my, I hesitate to even say it. This is not the lightning bug that backed into the ceiling fan, okay? Um, Some of you may need to think about that and take it home with you, and you'll catch on tomorrow um, or sometime. Um, If you didn't get it, I'm not going to say it again. you have to ask me about it later. But the connection between love and delight is the fact that we take pleasure in the one that we love. What does it mean to delight in the Lord, to delight in the Lord? First of all, let's look at the meaning of the word delight. The meaning of the word delight is to take exquisite pleasure in something, to take exquisite pleasure in something. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55. This is an invitation from the Lord. Verse 2 Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Isn't that a wonderful invitation? Delight yourself in rich food. Now, of course, we understand he's he's speaking to us uh, about spiritual matters, and we find ourselves, and often the people of the world, looking Uh, to everything, uh, to find a source that will satisfy, will satisfy the the deep hunger and emptiness of our souls. And they're looking everywhere to find that except for the one place that we really should look, and that is to the Lord. And we find there that God invites us to delight in rich food. It is not God's will. I think of Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 10. I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. You know, I, I know what it is to struggle. And I know sometimes life is a struggle. Like one man said, the trouble with life is it's so daily. And that's the truth. It's just one day after another, and the alarm goes off just like it did yesterday, and you have to drag yourself out of bed again and go through the routine and through the motions, and it's just one day after another. But friends, I do not believe, according to the Word of God, that it is God's will for us to just trudge along under the load of life 
with the pressures of life beating us down and weighing us down, God desires for us to have an abundant life, a good life, a life that is, is full of his own life, his own goodness and his own grace, where we delight in him. We delight in the life that God has given us. Amen. To delight in the Lord is to take exquisite pleasure in him. Well, let's look for a moment at the focus of our delight. The key verse that we mentioned to you from Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Now there we read, and if, you, if your Bible is the same as mine, it probably is, that word, the Lord, you will find it in all caps, uh, all capital letters, and that means it is a transliteration of the Hebrew word for Jehovah or Yahweh. And this is the personal name of God. It is God's personal name, Jehovah or Yahweh. And it has several ideas behind it that God says to David, delight yourself in the Lord. There's a reason God uses those words. Uh, first of all, it shows us that he is the God of personal relationship. I think every once in a while, when I think along these terms of the, uh, of the pop song from back in the 80s, uh, the words something like, from a distance. God is watching us from a distance. That was the only time it mentioned God, but it, it, it said just that God is out there somewhere. And it's that kind of deistic idea of God the, that he started everything up and wound it up like a clock, but then he just sort of left it all to run on its own. He doesn't really come close or come near to interact and intervene with us in our day-to-day -day lives. But friends, that's not true. God revealed himself to Moses as Jehovah, the I am. He said, when you go to tell them who sent you, you tell them, I am, Jehovah has sent you, the eternal self-existent one. It is the covenant name for God, the God who enters into personal relationship with his people. He's not a God who stays distant and far removed from us, but he is a God who comes near to us. It also means he is the covenant-keeping God. In other words, he will always do what he has said he will do. God has made a promise. God will keep that promise. So think about this when we think about delighting in the Lord and how that can focus our delight when we think about a God who wants to be in relationship with us. I don't know about you, but I think it's amazing to, to think. You know, I, I, I have gotten to meet one or two famous people in my life and and uh, had pictures taken with some of them, and, and it meant something to me. It mattered to me that that happened, and I got to do that. Some of you could probably tell the stories about a few of the people that you have gotten to meet, and, and uh, it was meaningful to you. But I've never, I've never gotten to meet the president or the Queen of England or anybody like that, but people, the God who created the world and everything in it and holds it together by the word of his power. I've talked to him throughout the day today. We've been in ongoing interaction today. Isn't that amazing? 
And that's available to all of us. And God will do what he has said he will do. He is the covenant-keeping God. Let's move on. Let's talk about the propriety of delight. Do you know what propriety is? It just is a word that talks about appropriateness. Is it appropriate to pursue pleasure and delight? Well, the Bible says it is. This passage teaches us that the pursuit of pleasure is appropriate for the Christian, for God's followers. Not only does it teach us that it is appropriate, but it is a scriptural command to delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, take exquisite pleasure in Him, in who God is. I'm going to share with you this quote from an essay called The Weight of Glory, written by C.S. Lewis, who said this, The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. In other words, when Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, it's never just for the sake of our, of our own suffering. It's not an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. Continuing to quote from C.S. Lewis, Nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit, says Lewis, that this notion has crept in and is no part of the Christian faith. In other words, the idea that we should not want good things for ourselves and enjoy them, he says that's not a part of the Christian faith. Everywhere throughout Scripture that appeals to us to delight in the Lord has an appeal to desire for us to enjoy the Lord, enjoy our relationship with Him. Continuing to quote from C.S. Lewis, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Let me ask you, friends, what mud pies have you been hanging on to when God invites us to drink from the rivers of his pleasure, as it says in Psalm 36, verse 8? Too many of us, I'm afraid, sit around enjoying mud pies, things that are of maybe temporary, temporal interest and value, and we struggle along in the Christian life thinking that this is the best we can do and this is the best we can hope for when God invites us to drink from the rivers of his pleasure. Psalm 1611, he says, you make known to me the path 
of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is absolutely appropriate to delight in the Lord, to enjoy Him. Well, let's talk for just a moment about some practical steps to delighting in the Lord. Every sermon ought to get practical at some point. Amen? Sometimes I've found myself looking back at a sermon that I have preached and realizing that it got to no practical application. I have more than once been frustrated listening to a preacher or a speaker talking about some specific problem or issue, and he never got around to telling us what to do about it. Well, well, that's no good. He's tell us about a problem, and yeah, we can all sit around and commiserate together. But what can we do to make it better? Practical steps to delighting in the Lord. The expression of delight. Anybody want to take a guess at the, what is the expression of delight? Worship. Worship. Yeah, that's a good one. And this, it's not exactly the word I'm, I'm looking at, but praise. There you go. That's involved with worship, and it is the expression of delight. Again, quoting from C.S. Lewis in his Reflections on the Psalms, All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their beloved, readers their favorite author, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. In other words, you have not fully enjoyed or delighted in something until your enjoyment or your delight has overflowed from within you and come out of your mouth and been shared with whoever is around you. We all have done this at some point or another. Sadly, we probably don't do it about the Lord as often as we should, but we've all done it about something. Say, did you hear about the sale going on down the street at the store? You can buy your whatever your favorite thing is. And it's on sale there for 75% off. Wouldn't that be? And you would talk about that store and that product and whatever it was and your enjoyment at having it and getting such a great deal. And your enjoyment would not be complete until you shared that with others. Most all of us know somebody who has their favorite, some favorite product, maybe a health uh, care product or whatever it is. And, and you know it, when you're around them to try to stay off of that topic, right? Because you know if you get going in that direction, they're, they're, you're not going to stop them. It's just like a freight train. They're, they get in gear and they're going and they're going to talk to you about their favorite product and whatever that is. And, oh, it's just wonderful. The expression of delight is praise. We started off this evening singing about it. Isn't he wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Eyes have seen, ears have heard. We sit in our seats. And I, I'm guilty of it too. Please forgive me. I don't, I don't want to berate or, you know, 
We sit in our seat. Isn't he wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? Oh, friends, that's no kind of way to praise the Lord. Isn't he wonderful? Amen. Well, it's the truth. What about the practice of delight? The practice of delight. This is hard to answer when you first think about it, at least I think it is in my mind. But after you think about it for a little while, it's, it's really simpler, more simple than it sounds. The practice of delight requires personal, tangible experience. Personal, tangible experience. I could ask you about a certain kind of restaurant, and if you've never been there, you might be able to tell me where one is located. You might be able to tell me the kind of food they serve and maybe even a few of the items that they have on the menu. But if you've never had personal, tangible experience, you can't really share with me much about that restaurant. But if you've been there You've enjoyed the food, you know what's on the menu, you know the hours of operation, and you can say, oh, on this day, here's the special for this day, and this is when you really want to go, and, and you take delight in that. You have personal, tangible experience, and that is what is required of the practice of delight. So, friends, let me ask you about your personal tangible experience of God and of His Word. Personal, tangible experience. We find beautiful example. We find beautiful examples all throughout the Psalms of this. But one that I especially like and I believe will be referenced in your handout there is from Psalm 18. Psalm 18. There are basically three aspects of this personal, tangible experience in practicing delight. The first one is simply who God is for me. Who God is for me. Let me ask you, who God, who is God for you? And I, I don't want to hear a pat answer or a cliche, but I want to hear something when I ask you that, I want to hear something from personal experience. This is who God is for me. When we read the beginning of Psalm 18, David is talking about who God is for him. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Who is God for you? This is the practice of delight. When you think about who God is for you, <clears throat> and you think, oh, wow. He's, he's, so, he's a wonderful Savior, a, a Redeemer, a God who is faithful, a God, though He is seated high 
upon the throne of the universe. He also dwells with that person who is of a lowly and contrite spirit. Wow. If you don't know how to do this, think about, try to think about what you do know how to do. Maybe it's your favorite sports team. Forgive me such a, a bad example, but, but this is often where we find people praising and delight, taking delight in these days. And they can talk about their favorite team and all the, that they've accomplished or what they failed to accomplish and why. And they take delight in that. I remember one young man that I used to work with in Cincinnati, and uh, I, somehow we were talking about church or whatever, and the Cincinnati Bengals, their football team, plays at Paul Brown Stadium. And this young man said, that's my church. Paul Brown Stadium is my church. Well, at least he was honest. But friends, think about who God is your rock, your fortress, your deliverer. The second aspect of the practice of delight involves what he does for us. What he does for us. Verse number 6 of Psalm 18, David says, In my distress I called upon the Lord, and from his temple he heard me. He heard me. He goes on to say, he, he delivered me. He delights in me. Isn't that amazing? The God in whom I am striving to, to love by delighting in, he also delights in me. I looked up that passage just before service. I believe it's from Zephaniah that says that God will rejoice over you with singing. Can you imagine God singing over you? It's just amazing. Then think about what God reveals to us. What God reveals to us. In Psalm 18, verse 30, David talks about his understanding of God and how his understanding of God has, has developed and adjusted because of his experiences of God and who God is and what he's done for him. And he said, this God, his way is perfect or blameless. The word of the Lord proves true. It reminds me of a song. For I've trusted and tested and tried him, and I know God's promise is true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. So friends, as you think about loving God, let me challenge you. I think it might be there on the back of your handout. Let me challenge you to take some time on purpose to delight in the Lord. And you say, well, I, you know, I spend some time praising the Lord in my, in my devotions. Um, let me encourage you, and I've been doing this, uh, practicing this throughout these last, this last week or so myself, doing it on purpose. Uh, taking some time to think about who God is for me and what he has done for me. Some, some very concrete, specific examples from my own personal experience. 
Those are the things that will help you to delight in the Lord and will assist in your love for him. As we prepare our hearts to gather around the table of the Lord and to receive the bread and cup, friends, there's no better opportunity than for us to think about who God is, what he has done, and what is revealed about him. So before we do, and I know we're, we're just a little bit late, but you're probably just going to go home and eat anyway. So um, if you'll bear with me, just a few more minutes and we'll be done. Yeah, maybe 10, 10, 15 minutes. Let me get your responses or invite your responses. Jesus invites us to the table to receive the bread and the cup. And he says that as we, as we do it, we are to do it in remembrance of him. And he broke the bread and blessed it, and he said, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he passed it around and said, this is my blood, which is shed. So let me ask you, first of all, what does that reveal about who God is and what he has done for us? Now, now people, this is a softball. There should be no, there's, and there's not any, any wrong answers, but, but we should easy have some, have some responses to this. As you think about receiving the bread and the cup, what does it tell you about who God is and what he has done for you? Anybody care to respond? Yeah, God is love. Emmanuel, God with us. Yes. He put aside his glory. He emptied himself. Yes. Anybody else? He laid aside everything that he had as being equal with the Father to come live our lives. He took upon himself the sins of the world. Here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us and gave himself as the atoning sacrifice. Yes. 